Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn, host and producer of the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Welcome to today's talk live from the amazing flagship Sono store here at 101 Green Street in semi-sunny Soho, New York City. The TalkHouse Music Podcast features intelligent, notable artists in long-form, unmoderated conversation, and we release a new episode each week. Subscribe on Stitcher or iTunes. Here at the Sono Store, they've set up seven amazing soundproof listening rooms where you can play whatever you want while you check out rad speakers. We've taken over the downstairs vinyl listening room for today's talk. Also in the store is a Rick Rubin mural, a rare zine wall, and Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth's cassette collection. We knew that Thurston hearts the who. Turns out he also hearts some pretty obscure shit. If you'd like to download this talk in audio form, it'll be released Thursday, October 13th. Post your questions for Meredith and Kathleen on Facebook or tweet at TalkHouse. Check out thetalkhouse.com for recent episodes including talks between Parquet Courts and Proto Martyr, the Wu-Tang Clan's RZA and Interpol's Paul Banks, aka Banks and Steels, and our doubleheader recorded backstage at Pitchfork Music Festival featuring Carly Rae Jepsen with Brian Wilson and Thundercat with Kamasi Washington. To introduce today's guests, I'd like to welcome the TalkHouse Music Editor-in-Chief, Brenna Ehrlich. I'm pretty excited to introduce them. They're both um, punk icons in their own rights, Meredith Graves and Kathleen Hanna. Um, in addition to being a former contributor to the Talk House, Meredith is also the front woman of the band Perfect Pussy and the founder of her very own Honor Press label. And uh, currently she's an anchor for MTV News, which is pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, in the past, she's written for The Village Voice, Pitchfork, Rookie, and a number of other publications. And just the other week, Meredith teamed up with Brooklyn Axe Yvette, who also write for the Talk House, and House of Feelings to release the track Avatar. So, which I believe was one of the first times you've sung on a track rather than yelled. Yeah, at least in a, recently. In a yeah, punk recently, yeah. yeah it's, it's the first one in a couple of years. So I'm excited to hear what else you have up your sleeve. And um, to my right is Kathleen Hanna, who is basically a legend in the... <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's always awkward to say mind. that next to you, but um, <laughs> in the realm of punk rock and Riot Girl and feminism and beyond. Um, she performed and fronted acts like Bikini Kill and La Tigra, and she's currently Helms uh, the Julie Ruin, who released their new album, Hit Reset, just this past summer. You guys should pick it up. Um, so I'm just going to stop talking and let you guys talk now. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Brenna. You are the coolest. I like you very much. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Meredith. I'm so glad that you're here. Oh, thank this you. I was so nervous cool. on the internet. It was like, let's get ready to rumble. And I was like, oh, my God, is this going to be like some sort of like. <laughs> you're like a beastie boy. Getting ready to rumble is like, like let's let's just just go. Do oh, some, I'm more than do a some cool boy stuff. Girl. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That is so true. Wow. I'm off to a rolling start. How are you? Um, I'm good. I just like it was raining outside, and I ran here. No sun outside, contrary to certain people's reports. Mm-hmm. Very cloudy, and um, yeah, I ended up just kind of running here because there were no cabs, so I'm a little bit out of breath. But other than that, I'm doing really great. Thanks for asking. Well, thanks to Sonos for having us here in the store today, and as always, thanks to the Talk House for letting me come on and talk to some of my heroes. They've been kind enough so far to let me talk to also Janet Weiss from Slater Kinney. They've let me talk to Rose McGowan. And now I'm talking to you, which I think means I've pulled a hat trick of my feminist heroes. 14 year old Meredith is screaming somewhere deep in the recesses of my artificially intelligent hard drive. Debbie Harry on Rapture changed my life as a kid. The next time I heard a woman rap that really affected me was the first Julie Ruin tape. What was it? Who did I rap on that? 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought I was just talking, but. Oh, it was perfect. And I wanted to know what was it that made you want to rap or speak, sing or do that? What, what? Because we have this new Julie Ruin record. What prompted the first one? Um, I was super depressed. I was being stalked by a guy who worked at a place across the street called Hard Bodies. If you're listening, you're a douchebag and I can't stand you. I hope really bad things happen to you. Um, he had basically beaten up his wife a bunch of times and got caught. So then he moved into the place that he worked. And it was really funny because um, Phyllis from, um, I think she was in Tourette's old Oakland band. that was an amazing girl band. Um, we used to call Hard Bodies and prank call them and be like, she would call him pretend she was a boy and be like, um, I'm really nervous about what I should wear. Should I wear a tank top? I have really small arms. People make fun of me. And the guy, and this was before this dude was stalking me. And he'd be like, well, just come over, you know, kid. And, you know, we'll show you around. And then she'd be like, <laughs> will you be my dad? And see, based on your description <laughs> and you not having said what Hard Bodies is, I can't decide if it's, it's a, a boxing gym or a gay bar. Okay, no, it's, it's a, a boxing gym. gym. Okay, it's cool. a gym, right. I, I have, even I have about small it. arms. No, but this was Olympia, so Aww. it was like I knew it was a – no, it was a gym. And so that was part of actually the weird untold narrative, especially of that one mm. song, um, I Want to Know What Love Is, yeah. was because I was being stalked by this guy and – like people at the coffee shop who I didn't even know had told me that he, they're like, you should watch out for that guy who works at Harbys because he is sleeping in there now and he has domestic violence charges against him and he's fixating on you because he keeps coming into the coffee shop and getting coffee and being like, is that girl a prostitute? Why doesn't she go to work? I think she's a hooker. I think she's doing bad things. Like he was really... And he would like climb on the roof and like look into my apartment with binoculars. Mm. So how many girls stay awake all night? Right. It was right across the street from your house. No, exactly. And yeah. my landlord wouldn't install a proper door. The do front doors of our building were broken. So like I had to take my headphones off like every 45 seconds because my back was towards the door. It was the only place I could put my eight track task cam reel to reel, quarter inch tape. Heck yes. Um, it's the only place I could put it that I could fit it in my apartment. So I was constantly taking my headphones off and turning around to see if like he was coming in my door. So literally, like, when I hear that record, like, I remember that feeling. And, um, I, you know, I did record during the day, and I did have a friend, Paul Schuster, who worked with it, um, with me and helped me with some technical things. And so those times were really a lot funner than literally getting up at three in the night because I was just freaking out. And then that's when I wrote that. I just sort of off the cuff was, like, so frustrated with having to be scared. I was like, I'll just stay up all night and work on this record. I think is that super depressing? No, it's, no, no, no. I, I it's had a, real. No, no. I, mean, I had many, a stalker. How many stalker? I mean, how many women haven't had stalkers? And right, like, right. I wasn't even in the public eye. Like it wasn't about that. It wasn't about me being in a band or anything. Mm -hmm. I was just some, you know, punk rocker who like looked like I didn't have a job. Mm -hmm. And that was actually like where which I, I kind of was. It's exactly where I was going to go with that. Is that when we talk about sexism and women in music, the endless conversation that you and I and everyone we've ever met gets asked about incessantly, instead of like usually the actual music we're working on, is that even at a level where you are, you know, in giant air quotes, especially as it pertains to you, just a punk rocker, um, there are things that happen on every level. And when you're in local bands or you're recognizable at all as like a punk woman or like a visible woman in the world at all, um, it's not like it's not just airbrushing on magazine covers. It's the guy that lives across the street. And that's why that song, I think, still has such an impact. Do you think that a lot of those themes carried over onto this record? Or what were the inspirations for the new Julie Ruin record? No, it was a whole different brand of depression on this one. Um, 
<laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing. I just get it so, so hard. No, I mean, I write to get myself out of like, you know, if I feel like I'm in a hole and I can't get out and I'm like clawing my way out and that's what the record is, like always. Like um, it's my way to express myself, to get through stuff, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like not only was I being stalked by the dude at Harbody's, but I was also, you know, in Bikini Kill and was about to leave because like the situation was just not working out. And my identity as the girl from Bikini Kill was actually really important to me. And I, I'd kind of like let a lot of my outside relationships go. Like my band was everything. Since then I've learned it's healthier as an artist to have like a separate, I hate it when musicians call themselves artists, but whatever. Um, as a musician, <laughs> as someone in a band, it's not healthy, I don't think, at least for me, to like put all my eggs in one basket and be like, this band is every single thing in the world to me. And like, if I had a relationship that arguing and fighting or whatever took more than two days, and I actually learned this from Madonna, a Madonna quote, I was like, it's over. Because my music and what we were doing, what our mission was, was more important to me than like any relationship. And so when we started to unravel, you know, I was really, I didn't know who I was. And it was like, divorcing three people you know and um that record was really figuring out who I was separate from that band and separate from that identity and also kind of releasing my frustrations of the stereotypes that get put on you as a feminist artist and like nobody asks you about your music they only ask you about being a woman tell me about the worst time you've ever been sexually harassed on stage I'd love to hear all about it well you know what's funny is that so the second one I got I got really bad Lyme disease long story it took a really long time I was in bed for a long time and it totally super sucked it was like the worst thing that's ever happened to me and that features heavily in the documentary the punk yeah a few years ago yeah very inspirational by the way as someone who also suffers from chronic illness oh that's amazing but you were saying um, I was like, okay, who am I separate from the illness? Mm. You know, and it was like the the same kind of trajectory of like, I forgot wh- who I am because all I've been doing is going from doctor to doctor and, you know, trying to separate myself from that and be like, who am I now? And I mean, obviously identity is fluid and you change all the time. So it wasn't like I was trying to pinpoint like, this is who I am forever and ever and ever. This is me now. Yeah, this, but yeah. it was sort of like, you know, also a way to, you know, work through the some of the stuff that happened to me and um, both the traumas of childhood and the traumas of illness because one can really spark the other, you know, like you feel like you grow up in a house that is unsafe and then all of a sudden you're in a body that's unsafe and you have no control over either situation. So and under all the bands and all the interviews and all the this, that, and the other thing, the sick body can really become who you are mentally and emotionally. And you worry so compulsively that under, under the bikini kills and the interviews and the whatever's of the world, like I am a broken body and like, and I'm a woman. Man, yeah. I'm which fucked, means people yeah. are like, you're actually just lying. Cause you don't want to go to my party. Yeah. Or I have a good friend. <laughs> I have a good friend. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, actually, I don't want to go to any of your parties anymore now that you're mad at me because I'm sick. I was going to say, I think there's a song about that exact thing by a band called La Tigra that I've known all the words to since I was 13 years old. (laughs) Wait, what is it? I'm thinking of the exactly... Hey, look, I'm really sorry. I couldn't oh, yeah, get to, to your, your party. party. Do I know your song lyrics yeah. better than you do? Because I'm going to leave. I feel like a Yeah, no, 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 right no, no. Joe, Joe. I was did. in a band in my early 20s that covered La Tigra. And I'm from a very small town. And we could only play it at about three shows before we realized that there were a few people that thought it was one of 
our songs because of how clumsily we played it, and so we stopped. But playing that's it. great. I, was I mean, that's how you. That's how you like. You know, write other songs that are. I mean, that's how. How the Julie Ruin. I mean, the Julie Ruin ended up being the Julie Ruin was because Lady Tigger couldn't play the Julie Ruin songs. Yeah. And we started trying, and then they just ended up sounding like something totally different. Mm-hmm. And then that was the first Lady Tigger record. So to go back to what you were saying a minute ago, and I did want to ask about La Tigre too. Uh, you were saying the Madonna rule of two days of arguing, <laughs> which I love and will employ wildly at my own discretion from this point forward. I don't do forward. that anymore. I mean, I've been married 20 years now, so. Well, that, yeah. I've actually been married 10 years, but I've been with the same person for 20 years, so yeah. and I, I stopped that rule. Well, there's that, and there's also your decades-long relationship with La Tigra and the Jewelry Ruin. Yeah. So how have those relationships strengthened over the years how have you kept those relationships what's it been like to have so many years to grow and develop with either your partner romantically or musically or your your friends what makes how does how do you make love stay (laughs) (laughs) um I don't know I just like met the most handsome boy in the world and who's super talented and his whole it's really funny because people are like isn't it weird to be with a musician like is there like competition is there this is there that will you ever collaborate blah 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 and it's almost like we have two totally separate things like I don't play my music for him I don't you know what I mean like we just don't even engage with that thing like Mm -hmm. we'll both sort of like vent to each other about things that have to do with you know but waiting for a long time in a sound check, which is like a totally stupid problem that a ton of people would love to have. So mm. I wouldn't really want to go to vent to one of my friends who's like, you know, working nine to five. Like, That's what boyfriends are I for. Be, yeah. So yeah. I, I like, you know, we vent about stuff like that. But typically we keep things really separate. And he's a very different kind of musician than I am. Like he's what I put in the Joan Jet category of like born to rock. Like mm-hmm. he just has to make music all the time. It's not a question. And I feel like, I was born to make art, but like in a lot of different mediums. And I don't feel like I'm like, I have to make music all the time or I'll lose my mind. There's certain points in my life where I have to write songs. And then there's certain times where I've needed to be doing drawings at home and, you know, doing writing pieces for book form or whatever. Mm -hmm. And helping out with all the really crazy stuff that, you know, back in the day, all of the booking shows and the visual arts and the college-oriented stuff and KRS, of course, and like all of that whole like diaspora scene that you were involved in in the early 90s. What are the last vestiges of that that you still hold on to? Like, who are you still connected with from that time? Who Do you, do you still make art with any of those people? Uh, actually, um, Le Tigre just got back together in the studio you have the scoop. Oh, yeah. Um, for a special song that we are going to release, hopefully, like, early to mid-October. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this is thematic, based um, on the time in not, which it will be released? I will not say okay. what is about, but um, it's been really fun working with them again. And it's a Halloween song. It's I know, Halloween you guys song. don't. It's definitely, it's Kathleen's covering the Monster Mash. I oh my God, I've, I've already covered the Monster Mash. Really? No, it's just like, I <laughs> no. love that, that guitar line so good. And like, in this song we did on the last record called Oh Come On, I was like, it's, I love the Monster Mash part. Like the lead is like totally like an updated Monster Mash. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is so awesome. Cause that's my whole kind of thing is like Monster Mash. I love that. And I feel like, to go back to like, because I'm two years into a relationship with someone who's also a musician who I love dearly, but we can barely work on music together, even though we try consistently. We love it. But 
you coming from punk and hardcore, your partner coming from punk and hardcore, that monster mash thing, I really feel like that's something that comes from punk because our reference points don't have to be like, I'd like to sound like Adele. I'd like to sound like Gloria Gaynor. It's like, I want to sound like a dump truck that's underwater in a garbage can. I want to sound like the monster mash. I actually do want to sound like Adele or Gloria Gaynor. Right. <laughs> but um, maybe that's the difference we found between us. But I wanted to ask you a question. <gasps> okay. I don't want this to come... Well, whatever. I'm I come in here and I'm I do these interviews say, are we and allowed to curse? questions. Okay. I just want to fucking say it. Okay. I think you have an amazing voice. I don't think that what you do is screaming. Right. And... Um, nothing against the intro but it's like I can tell that you're a really good singer thank you and the thing that frustrated me is that I heard or I read in an interview that you were talking about um people were like oh we want the vocals louder Mm -hmm. and you were like well I'm equal with the members of my band Mm -hmm. and I remember feeling that way at first too um so I totally was like whoa flashback like I remember you know having kind of these, also I had all these political ideals that was like, don't use reverb because it's like airbrushing your voice. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff. I wanted people to hear like what a regular woman sounded like right. like in all of my whiny Valley Girl glory. Mm-hmm. And what I sounded like when I was pissed as a real woman with no reverb on my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually I realized there's a place for reverb in my work and there's a place for, like all these things are tools that if I use them in the correct way, you know, like mm-hmm. work for me. But I was, I was so disappointed because I couldn't hear your vocals and I could tell they were really good. And so I watched a bunch of live performances and I was like, man, that girl can fucking sing. And I was just like, I almost wanted to like find, like find you on Twitter and be like, turn up your... <laughs> and I knew everybody was doing that to you and I know that it's your aesthetic choice, but I was just really sad because I just wanted you to know that like people wanted to want to hear what you have to say. And it's not, I don't believe that it's standing out from the band right. to make it so that you can be heard because it's really important to hear the vocals and to hear, I couldn't understand what you're saying. And it was like, but anyways, it's I, anyways, very complicated. I'm, I'm sure thinking, I'm like, there are so many answers for this. Um, <clears throat> and every asshat on Twitter wanted to tweet at me and say, I can never hear your voice. Your voice sounds bad. Your voice sounds bad. That's why I didn't do if it. If you had done it, That's I would have I been like, yes, mom cried, remastered the album and had it repressed to your liking. Is no, what I seriously, I didn't want to, <laughs> I saw that stuff and I didn't want to be like the douchebag who was like telling you what to do. I was like, if no. that's how she wants to run her business, that's how she wants to run her business. But at the same time, I was like, I want to hear her. I want to hear what she has to say. Right. I want to, you know what I mean? And well, like, there's a few reasons why it ended up that way. And none of them will probably be emotionally satisfying, but they are all true. One is that when we started Perfect Pussy, I was, as you mentioned, using your various musical projects as a way to process depression, work through like past trauma. Perfect Pussy was started in an attempt to directly confront and offend people in my hometown who had been emotionally, socially, and otherwise like abusive to me after I had for years like been a very active participant in our scene after a breakup. It was the very prototypical situation of, oh no, that's my bro. He's a good dude. It doesn't matter if he did anything to women. It's, uh, that's our guy. He books shows. He does this, that, and the other thing. And I ran into some massive social trouble after running a venue and being in bands and booking shows for years. I took a couple of years off music. I didn't want to be heard. I didn't want to be seen. And I was living in the house above the space I used to help run. So when we started Perfect Pussy, the reason the vocals were low and the reason the vocals were so distorted was because one, I 
wanted to scream as loud as I could in people's faces and not necessarily have them understand me because I didn't feel like they understood me in the other way as it was. And the other reason is because coming of age in upstate New York, the influence of Earth Crisis and Earth Crisis light bands was omnipresent. And I had your tapes. I had Patti Smith's tapes. I had Huggy Bear. But those were tapes. And they came out when I was four. And in Syracuse, I had Carl Buchner from Earth Crisis. Like, yeah, I was, I, when, I mean, when I had a dad who was a punk, like I knew your music when I, before I was sentient, but in Syracuse, I had men and men and men and men and men and men and men. So I studied because I was never allowed to be in bands. And by the time that I was 25 and we started Perfect Pussy, the masculinity, the disband nature of layering reverb and distortion on vocals, the performative nature of abusing myself on stage, of being tough, of doing like attempting to scream because I'm trying to and it feels physically feels like screaming to the point where I have vocal notes now um, and can't scream like that anymore. It came from this place of like, you let me stockpile the end result of your socially mandated masculine immaturity for 25 fucking years here it is all at once you couldn't understand me emotionally you don't get to hear me either this is my project for me and it's all about fuck you and the horse you rode in on right and you don't even get to enjoy it and the first run of tapes we didn't even put a lyric sheet because they were all about like fuck this person this person this person (laughs) yeah like fuck it So, yeah, but I I actually, I grew up uh, doing musical theater and I sang opera in high school and I used to sing. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you have a fantastic voice and that was just like, it's funny because I think we have a similar trajectory, both in terms of the relationship gone wrong and it's splitting people in my Mm -hmm. small town and like there was some of that business going on. But also, um, that's why if anybody saw me chuckling during that part, I was like, oh my God, it's Mm -hmm. like we've been leading parallel lives, but like Mm -hmm. 20 years, 30 years apart. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, but yeah, like, both bands I've been in, I've used the music I've written to work through traumatic situations yeah. I was in at the time when I wrote them. Well, and what's so yeah. awesome is that, you know, when we we first started, it was like, this isn't art, this is therapy. And I was like, yeah, so what? I was like, I can't afford therapy. And mm-hmm. so you have to like listen to my therapy. But it also was like really directed towards other women and mm-hmm. towards trying to get women interested in feminism. But I, I realized that there came a time where I just started being just totally... I was like in my feminist 101, like I hate all men except for my boyfriend phase. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know. Can you validate quickly that I'll ever grow out of that? (laughs) Will I ever grow out of it? (laughs) Um, I think it's a spiral, Meredith. Mm -hmm. I think it's something you have to come back to sometimes. Mm -hmm. The great toilet of masculinity. It's it's great. Swirling ever onward. But like, I changed over with Le Tigre that I, I didn't want to s- scream like I always thought I was singing but whatever like I didn't I, I start had started to direct my stuff towards men who had like wronged me or like just in general like you know using like um taking making personal narratives out of like larger issues of sexism and mm-hmm. and using that and then singing that in front of women so maybe they could vicariously enjoy mm-hmm. what I was doing but I started realizing I don't even want to explain this anymore. Like I want to sing to my community. I'm so happy that now there's a community of women that I can turn to and who will come to the shows that I play. And um, so Lee Tigre just started writing really like kind of happy songs about politics mm-hmm. and um, and about things that we were thinking about and putting on a show. And 
Um, I think there's just so many ways that you can battle sexism. And it's also by, you know, changing genres, by being like, hey, guess what? It's still punk if you're in a band that's basically like feminist in sync. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't tell me that punk has to be a certain kind of mm -hmm. arrangement or something like that. You've and I really the I same admire thing you. I have too of about the way you look, too. You're not punk because of the way you dress. You're not punk because of the way you look. You're not punk because you wear makeup. What, this isn't punk? And yeah, like when you're on stage, especially like some, I've some of the early bikini kill footage, if you have a dress on or if you're just wearing a bra or like right. any of that now, you get absolutely lampooned. And like, yeah. you, you're not punk because you're wearing a dress sometimes. It's a lot. It's so, so much. And that was such a heavy, the visual stuff has always been factored very heavily into what you've done. And just a few minutes ago, even after saying, I hate when musicians refer to themselves as artists, you said, well, I'm an artist and sometimes I have to make music. Well, and I sometimes designed I have to this make album friends. cover. How was that made? Did you draw and illustrate that or is that a collage? Or? No, it's, that's actually a real like house that I have. And it's one of those toys that is like, it's a wooden house inside of a wooden house, inside of a wooden house, inside of a wooden house, inside a wooden house, inside one other wooden house. Oh my and um, I just thought it was really beautiful. And my friend Becca Albee actually shot it for me so it could be high res. And she does a lot of work that's like really stark. And it's almost like about evidence mm -hmm. um, more than portraiture. And so she really inspired me. And then I just made a collage on the back because I've been making collages. <laughs> I feel like I want to know where you feel you fall in the long trajectory of feminist visual art. Someone only because someone asked me the same question the other day, and I was like, Jenny Holzer, Barbara Kruger, yeah. yeah, and like that was pretty much just like all I had. Yeah, well, I actually just was at this panel discussion that Johanna from Lady Tigra um, was a moderator for about this woman. Shout Johanna, you are very great. Yeah, you are great, and um, it was about the artist Ellen Cantor, who has a bunch of shows up right now posthumously. Um, and on October 5th, they're showing her show, her, her feature length film that was finished by her friends after her death, which I just think is wow. really amazing. Like she drew out everything that she wanted to happen. And then her friends came together. Johanna's doing the soundtrack and, um, it's showing, I think at MoMA and it's called a uh, Pinochet porn and it's about fascism and the relationship of fascism to personal relationships and, um, Pinochet, like the dictator. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, a lot of her thing is about, you know, where does the political and the personal meet? And, you know, there's been a big thing of like, oh, well, when women retreated into personal as political, it's like, well, I'm just going to work on myself and then not be a citizen of the world and not be out there. The world's fucking terrifying. Changing. It's terrifying. The world but hates women. It's terrifying, but it. it's like, it's not, you know, like, I never thought gay marriage would happen in my lifetime, right. you know, and a lot of people can have issues with it. If you don't want to get married, don't get married, like period. Um, I got married for health insurance. So mm -hmm. thank God I got Lyme disease after I got married. Mm -hmm. um, I doubt you put that on the registry. But yeah. No. Um, but I don't even remember what your question is. Not because I don't care, but because. I don't remember what my question was. I'm I just, just started talking about this amazing panel discussion and then I like lost it. Art. We were talking about art. And I want to know what oh. artists do you like right now? What, mu what music are you listening to right now? What books are you reading? I'm asking because I'm going to make mental notes and read and listen to all of them. Well, I love Ronte's Purnell of The Younger Lovers. Yeah. And I love. My friend Rich is in Younger Lovers. He's on tour right now. They're on tour right now in Europe and I've been getting reports, really hilarious reports back. Um, but he wrote a book called Johnny, Would You Love Me If My Dick Was Bigger? And it's just one of the best things ever. I wrote a review in Art Forum 
um, of it just because I was like, I went to the reading um, at the Bureau for Social Experimentation. It's like at the LGBT Center in my mm-hmm. neighborhood. And it was so good. It was one of those things. I'd actually been to three book readings in that week. And I was like, this was the most, like only 40 people were there, but they were crammed into this small, beautifully curated bookstore. And I was like, it was life-changing. It was like seeing a punk show. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's part of the through line of what we're talking about is that Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a punk show to be a punk show. Totally. You know what I mean? It's like, there's so many different ways. Like I see people fighting back every day in their lives that are challenging to the status quo that doesn't involve like, playing an instrument and like you know or having a dog on a rope or a dog on a dog on a rope or like a dread mullet or anything like, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to be a crust lord to be punk i think every time you feed people that you love it's very punk i think a lot about food when i think about what is punk i think about all the things in the world that are really expensive and how to give them to people for free and that's punk for the most part yeah and that was also something that really got me hooked on you guys and the tangential acts surrounding you when I was first starting to listen to your music was zines, zine culture, uh, up to Cindy Crabb and Doris, Xeroxed flyers, cheap art, uh, makeup, thrift store clothes. Uh, do you still feel part and parcel to that? Do you still try? Are you still making like a photograph of, for instance, an object you already own? Like, uh, do you still feel like divesting yourself from from capitalism is like intrinsic to the music and the art that you make are you still doing everything on the cheap no no I mean if I can get the money to like make if I have an album that I want to make that is going to cost x amount of dollars I will do whatever I have to do to get that money I'm not going to go into whatever those evers might be Mm -hmm. but I will you know basically like roll in shit in order to get the money to make the project that I want to make you know, I definitely wouldn't hurt anybody or step over everybody or use someone's labor for free or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that part of cha- changing capitalism is engaging with it. Like, I don't think we can do this either or thing that we did in the 90s with like, you know, well, if you're on an indie label, it's cool and, you know, whatever. And then if you're on a major label, you are totally terrible. And um, that's just a false binary. And it's just like, they each start reinforcing each other. And I feel like it's really important to, I mean, I've been ripped off by indie labels. Mm -hmm. And after being ripped off by an indie label really bad, I was just like, I should try, we should try a major label. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and we also got kind of not ripped off, but it just didn't really work out and it wasn't our bag. And so we decided to start our own label. Bikini Kill has its own label. Le Tigre has its own label. Um, The Julie Ruins on Harley Art now, which is an independent label. But it's like, Shouts Hardly Art. Yeah, shout out to Hardly Art. Um, to nice Jason to me on Sarah. Twitter. Thanks for being friends. Um, but like, in terms of capitalism, it's not like I'm like rah-rah capitalism. It totally mm-hmm. works. Obviously, it doesn't. And there's poverty everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's awful. But it's like, we need to start businesses that challenge biz- like traditional business practices. Because how are we going to change things if we just walk around and say capitalism sucks? There's no way to live entirely outside of it unless you're going to go have your off-the-grid home and, you know, make beeswax candles that you trade for things. It's just... Even it's then not, you still have to buy the bucket for your freaky hippie gray water toilet Right, thing. and even, yeah. even then you have to, like, own a piece of land. Even then you have to, like... There's all these things. We can't escape it. This mm-hmm. is the society we live in. So let's engage with it. Like, 
Let's start businesses where we treat employees fairly. Let's have employees say, I want profit sharing. Let's have, you know, paid family leave, all of these kinds of things. And it's like, I know people who own small businesses who like don't have to give health insurance but they do, even though they don't have more than 12 employees, mm -hmm. but they do because they know it's the right thing to do, you know, and they treat people like equals and peers, and there's still a hierarchy in order to get things done, but everybody knows it's false. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. hierarchies are actually really good for running a meeting. I have to say, I've been in a lot of meetings where there was nobody who was moderating, mm -hmm. and it just went to shit. And I think we can be like, okay, hierarchy totally sucks in the large scheme of things where there's like a dictator, like say mm -hmm. Donald Trump or somebody like that. Um, but like in terms of running a meeting or running a small business or something, it's okay to be like for this set of time at mm -hmm. this meeting, this person is going to be the person mm -hmm. who's heading the meeting. Yeah, it's less and, hierarchy and more stratification of tasks. Yeah. It almost, it feels good to identify each individual's specific skill. It's almost like saying, you will play bass in this band, and you will sing in this band, and because we can't do the other thing, we just won't switch instruments at any right. point. Like, yeah, right. it's, it's just using everyone to their strengths. Exactly. But that involves a certain level of intimacy that I don't think capitalism is complicit with. I don't think capitalism and intimacy can comfortably coexist. No, but I think that within capitalism, we can have pockets of trying different ideas of like, what would work? What would be a, what do we want a business to look like? What do we want society to look like? And and as we try these things out and fail and then try something else, then hopefully we'll learn like what do we actually want and how are we going to achieve it? But if we just go capitalism is the ultimate evil and I'm not going to interface with it in any way, A it's not possible and B it just keeps us spinning our wheels. You know, and it's like mm -hmm. you can take a hundred pictures of yourself flipping off the man, but in reality, it's like you've got to engage with culture. And you're order posting to those things. pictures to Instagram off an iPhone made by a four-year-old Chinese child in a factory. <laughs> like, let's yeah. be totally honest here. Um, the reason I'm asking is largely because recently um, stories have been coming out about, for instance, feminist punk bands who are turning down massive major label offers. There's, I'm sure you're really? familiar with the situation about the band Gloss. Are you aware of what's going on yeah, with Gloss? Yeah, no, I'm not aware of what's going on with, on with Gloss, but I know the band. But yeah, same, they're same getting kind of big area. major label offers. And they just broke up because of it. They turned down a $50,000 offer from Epitaph Records and then How much? broke up 50 grand and then broke That's up. That's nothing. So, sorry. No, no, it's okay. I'm sorry. I don't mean that like, oh, I'm super rich and I just have $50,000 in my pocket. I just mean like in terms of a major label offer, that's not good enough. Right. That's not – I mean I would turn it down just because it's not good enough. Right. It's not worth it to like compromise your identity. And like aren't there all those horrible bands on Epitaph? Like because on one hand it's like <laughs> I would love for anyone who makes hardcore music that I care about, especially feminist hardcore, to get $50,000 for any reason because $50,000 sounds like a great time to me. Sign me up. On the other hand, I believe as, I mean, I, not knowing, never having worked with a major label myself, would never have considered the idea that $50,000 would be a lowball. It's also striking a balance between maintaining your punk ethics and recognizing that women have historically been underpaid yeah. in like every industry. <clears throat> so there's also a wage gap in music, I feel like. Wait, you got to get back to the gloss story. So did they break up because like one person wanted to do it and somebody else They've didn't? published a public letter that they ran on the Maximum Rock Man, and Roll website. 
about why they chose to break up. It's it's for a variety of reasons, but the story that a lot of like Love Gloss, huge fan, think what they did, go for it. The part that music media writ large is focusing on is the number, the fifty thousand dollar number, and the connection to like a major label. When Wait, people are concentrating on the fifty thousand dollar number, fa- like that's like a huge amount of money. That it was some sort of. Pump- it would have been a huge amount of money for me when I was in Bikini Kill for right, sure, right. but. A major label offering a band fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars to me is a total slap in the face. Mm-hmm. Like a major label has tons of money. They should be able to offer a really amazing band like Gloss like a lot more than that. Because mm-hmm. it costs a lot to make an album. It costs a lot to master it. And what the major label is gonna want it to sound like is gonna mean they're gonna have to go into a different studio. They're gonna have to work with a producer. They're gonna all that money is just going to like go into producing their record and then they're each going to end up with like 500 bucks. That's not cool. And they're also trying to purchase them effectively on the strength of their identity, which is uh, why a lot of people really like them is their, their outward politics. And so it's almost as if, if labels want to sign bands based on the strength of their lyrics, which are about their personal politics as marginalized people, um, they should know that people from those groups are historically underpaid and offer them eight times as much money just as a gesture of intelligence. Like they're, that would be a very easy way for, for any corporation to prove their awareness would be to offer an exorbitant amount of money. Yeah. But instead, we're still seeing the undervalued label labor of women, trans people, people of color, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's 2016. And we're still wondering whether an overqualified woman can beat a fluorescent xenophobic Cheeto... <laughs> <laughs> to become the president of Unilever and BP. I and just like that he was up, up last night tweeting at three in the morning because I was like, I don't even do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like somebody writes me some tweet and I'm like, that's stupid. And I just like delete it. And I'm like, I can't believe that this person is like, who could have the nuclear codes <laughs> is like getting all bent out of shape of a Miss, Miss Universe. Yeah. Like who called him out and like who gives a crap? Like, I mean, I give a crap about what he did to her. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's, it's like thou protest test too much. Is that a Bible thing? Did I just say? Oh, like me thinks the lady doth protest too much? That's Hamlet. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Unless it's Macbeth and mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I got that wrong. I got to go back to school, Meredith. She's totally listening. One of her guidance counselors, or I think it might have been, her, my mom's a high school principal and one of the teachers in her Ooh. district or someone in the district went up to her desk one day after Perfect Pussy did some weird thing in like Europe and leaned over her desk and was like, Leslie, do you know Bikini Kill? <laughs> my mom was like, uh-huh. <laughs> she's like, yeah. really flattered that oh, that's one sweet. of her coworkers was like, your daughter, Bikini, like, that's cool. I also heard about you, Meredith, that you, I do my homework. I'm scared. No, but I, I you know, I, I do follow bands that I like. Um, that you went to a show and they had a really offensive flyer and you're like, I'm not going to play this show. And, and I think that brings up a really interesting topic. And like we wrote about tokenism and stuff like that Mm -hmm. on the record. And, um, and Bikini Kill had that all the time. Like I remember one particular one that was Asian women in very short skirts that showed their underwear wearing armbands that were very like Hitler esque and had guns and that was supposed to be like showing strong female power. And I was like, that looks like some weird guy's fascist yeah. sex dream. And, you know, I, of course I wanted to walk away. But like when we were a band, I didn't feel like we had the power 
to do that. Like, you know, we were playing like small clubs with no. Well, we didn't walk away. We played. You did I didn't play. see the flyer until I was at the venue was what happened. Oh, okay. So you yeah, did play. Yeah, we were in I was, Dallas. I was interested in, in that situation and how it we played We were on out. tour with Potty Mouth, which is an all-female band from Western Massachusetts, though they're now based out of LA. And we used to tour with them really extensively. They're great girls. And we got to the show in Dallas, and the flyer had a naked woman tied to a pole on it. Ooh, that's nice. I have never, I'm a pretty easygoing guy, you know? Like, (laughs) for someone with like a hair trigger temper and a severe social bent towards misandry that makes me no fun at parties, I'm actually pretty cool when it comes to your run of the mill, like drive by moroning. Yeah. But seeing that flyer, I wanted to go at someone's eyes. Yeah. I was furious. And I was on stage and I was just like, this is totally fucking inappropriate. Um, there are people who are going to see perfect pussy and a naked woman tied to a pole and show up to your bar that you have a regular female clientele at regularly expecting this kind of material. You're, I basically said, like, you're encouraging men to show up and harass me and the women in potty mouth and that's unacceptable. The better part of this story is that the music editor of the biggest newspaper in Dallas in reviewing the show lambasted me for doing that by critiquing what I was wearing and saying that I didn't look punk because I was wearing shorts. It was black shorts. I had black denim shorts on and a striped t-shirt and it was that I looked, I didn't look punk enough to be doing what I was doing. And this is an older, boring ass, like M-O-R white dude, like editor, that wh- is so whatever guy. Well, well, what it did was, this was prior, or like maybe somewhere like early on and when I had started writing and it did prompt a lot of people to ask me about it, which was good. But on the other hand, I am if I can say this without sounding like a person of like real privilege to be able to ignore issues, I don't care about that shit. I don't care about guys making flyers for shows. I really don't. I care about Syrian children getting droned. And I care about Audrey and Daisy, the movie that I interviewed Tori Amos about last week that's about teenage girls who kill themselves after their sexual assaults make it onto social media in their high school. Some dick swinger, America, born and raised, make a flyer with boobies on it like two years ago, yes, I would have absolutely blown a gasket and gone at the guy's eyes. But it's, I don't want to say that if we ignore it, it'll just go away. But stupid shit like that and the numbers game and the appearance game and all of that, it, it just, it doesn't feel right for that to be the focus right now. You know, the world is way scarier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To focus on the numbers, to focus on the money, to focus on the major versus minor, to focus on what band is premiering their song with Vogue, who's signing to what label, to do this, <laughs> that, and the other thing. And it kind of feels akin to focusing on the election. It kind of feels akin to focusing on, like, Trump versus Hillary. I always have to think, like, when all this shit's going on on TV and he's being mean and saying all this bad stuff to women, like, what are the people in power doing while the debates are going on? Which was like, I think, my only tweet during the debate. Like, I wonder what the people in power are doing while everyone in America is glued to this. And it feels that way with the music industry, too. I'm on stage at a 200-cap venue in the middle of East Cupcake screaming about a flyer that has boobs on it that I'm not okay with. And the industry, meanwhile, is protecting Dr. Luke instead of Kesha. It's signing secret contracts that ensure that there's a continued wage gap. And it's discouraging discussion about that. It's the industry encourages... uh, I've railed about this forever now, but like a dedicated lack of intimacy between journalists and artists that I think is ineffective and leads to shoddy writing and a further divide between people that makes musicians scared of journalists and vice versa. I think all of these, while they are highly problematic, are also a diversion for the more toxic and insidious aspects of the industry that need to be stopped on that like macro capitalist level. 
that was a huge rant. I'm so sorry. But like, I think about it now and I'm like, I still feel the rage of, of boobies, but I'm also just like, you know. No, I was just interested in the concept of like, do you play when you show? Like, if I had no, I didn't know the whole rundown. So thank you for letting me know. Mm. I just knew, I think we were actually on tour and somebody were playing shows somewhere and someone just like told me about it. And, um, and I knew it had a lot of internet play and stuff. And mm. I, I guess I'm interested in the idea of like, when you show up and get treated like that, it's like, when do you walk away? Like, when are you just like, fuck this, this is too much. And it's like, I'm always like, I don't care. Yeah, I like, never walk I mean, away. it's like, I care, but I'm like, if somebody's going to be a total douchebag to me, it's like, whatever, they're stupid and they're not, I feel sorry for them that mm-hmm. like they have probably loser friends because nobody yeah. cool will hang out with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to go on and just keep doing my thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I do find ways to insulate myself from, you know, um, bad situations by having like a tour manager, mm-hmm. which is a real luxury, um, but something that insulates me from hearing some of the rougher stuff that in the I absence of a tour manager I've just become a giant asshole so yeah <laughs> just become a huge jerk I just I mean it's been a long time for me that I've been doing this and um it just sort of like I can't be the one anymore to have the conversations with the promoters about certain things or you know tell them to turn off under my thumb by the Rolling Stones playing as our you know um, audiences filing in. I'm like, that's not appropriate. But it's like, I can't be the one to go down there because you know how I'm going to get treated versus how our tour manager's a man, um, like how he's going to get treated. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fine because I'm doing this so that I can stay healthy, like mentally healthy and physically healthy and not get all stressed out about a bunch of stuff. And it's like, you know, it's like you have to pay the doctor bill mm-hmm. and you know, he's my doctor. So turn off your <laughs> under my thumb fog machine of sexual assault. Yeah. Creep. That was actually, it's so funny because I'm just like, I, I really only came here today with one question and everything that we've talked about has been leading up to it. And Elia knows I told him on the train. Oh God, I'm so scared. Oh, get prepared because you don't have a phone, a friend. No, I'm, uh, what I wanted to know, and it's all about this. It's about what is the secret to staying in this world? How have you done it? Because you are, as you sit directly in front of me, I say, you are what I want to be when I grow up, if I grow up. It's this idea that you have, without compromising your ethics, remained in an industry that was caustic to you during Bikini Kill, supportive at other times, has produced criticism and praise in, at times, varying amounts, has iconized you, vilified you, Championed you, gotten it right, gotten it wrong, made you the focus of a full-length documentary that was one of the most lauded of the year it was released. How have you managed to stay without totally losing it? Because all these things we're talking about are real and they're everywhere and they're constant. What did you do? What, how, what, what steps can I follow in? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I got a dog. What kind? They got wire-haired terrier dog from the pound. And... um before that, I had another dog named Freddie, but I can't talk about him because mm-hmm. it's too upsetting. <laughs> but um, Bobby, who is still among the living, and she has freckle face. She's named after Roberta Peterson, the famous opera singer. We call her Bobby with the eye. Um, and she doesn't care about any of that stuff, and neither do I. Like, when I come home and she's excited to see me, that's all I care about. And so I, I kind of, like, leave work at work in my head. Like, I have a thing where I've gotten to a place where I'm like, this is a part of the gig. 
you know, and yeah, it's weird. I live with someone who's been doing this on a much larger scale than I have for um, as long as I have for even a little longer. And he's never been protested by people he felt were members of his own community. And he's never been, you know, pulled off the stage by his ankles or had beer spit in his face or, you know, just all these different things that happen or the way that men will speak to me on the internet and tell me that my feminism is stupid or I don't know what I'm talking about or, you know, all the anti-abortion people that will harass me and people who threaten me. Um, I'm just sort of like, well, that's just a part of the gig. And yeah, the sexism part sucks, but I also agree with you that there's more important things going on in the world. And it's like, if I get all hung up on just Mm -hmm. that, it just seems really stupid. But at the same time, I have to be like, look, am I internalizing these bad messages? And I have to talk back to them in my head. But I've also realized like you can't talk back to people who are total jerks. There's Mm -hmm. no reason. The only people that I speak back to when I have a conflict are people who I love. I have someone in this room right now watching who I said that exact same thing to the other night. A male friend of mine who I had words with about the way that he referred to a professional woman that we're both friends with. Only insofar as like her uh, friendships with other people seemed to precede her professional input and I said to him like don't do that and his response was like oh I hope we're cool and I was like no I love you so much that's why I'm saying this because if you were just a run of the mill like two brain cells to rub together and make fire joe six pack I would not have fucked with you like period right it's a gift yeah and when and that's why I hate and I'm sure you hate it too when people say that you're a man-hating feminist or that you're a misandrist I love men so much. And I don't I so always love men. men. Life, I am well, the kind men of a man hater. I don't I give a shit. Like that whole thing of like you're a man hater. I just started to be like at bikini kill shows. I used to sing like I am a man hater and I don't care because it's like sometimes I do just feel like oh my god you know Calgon take me away. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I feel that way. Like I think it'd be weird if like anybody who's oppressed or marginalized for whatever reason didn't hate the class of people who were a part of maybe not oppressing them directly, but benefiting from it. You know, sometimes I'm just like, well, if I was a dude, this wouldn't be happening to me. Mm -hmm. Or I think like, what would it, what would a man do? Which is really awful. Mm -hmm. I know I'm probably going to get a lot of angry tweets about it. The one that I get all the time is like, okay, I'm talking to a man. How do I get what I want? How do I manipulate what I'm about to say to make sure this man understands oh, yeah. me that whole, and can relate to me and hear me? It's like, the, uh, but if it's like, like but if it's somebody who's like not even worth it, I'm just like, I'm like, how do I get what I want? Mm-hmm. What do I say to get what I want? And I don't care. I'm, I'm just being honest. It's like, I'll lie. I'll like whatever just to get what I want because mm-hmm. if it's somebody who's a total creepazoid and illogical and you know, a total sexist douchebag. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to say what I need to say to that person. Fair even is if, fair. Even if it's like, you know, the verbal um, equivalent of like sucking the person's dick. It's mm-hmm. like, that doesn't make me any lesser of a person. I don't feel gross about that. I did that so that my band could get on stage and have decent sound. Mm-hmm. Me and- taking off my clothes in an interview got people to come to our shows. Literally. Oh, really? Yeah. I did an interview for the What's Underneath Project for Style Like You, and it went viral completely by accident. And that was one Ooh, of the first Oh, you're naked on the internet? I'm in my bra. I'm oh, that's bra. not naked. Yeah. Well, it's, it's naked for, for me. I dress like a Mormon sister wife, usually. <laughs> like I'm, I'm all high collar. You need to be more Holly Hobby if you want to be a sister wife. Yeah. I do have some gunny sacks. 
oh my god, I wore gunny sacks like my seventh this grade prom. This is why prom. people called me a riot girl when I was like thirteen. I don't want to ask you about sacks? that. Nobody like, wore gunny sacks in Riot cut, Girl. You, you were like some other you cut them up and like hybrid the raver Riot Girl. Yeah, living on an army base in upstate New York <laughs> yeah. where they really understand the, the intensity of that term. And that term, you know, my boss now at MTV who is, not only do I share a birthday with her, but I love her more than anything. And I've been reading her since she wrote for Punk Planet back in the day is Jessica Hopper, who... Is incredible. Uh, first book of criticism by a living female rock critic. Mm-hmm. She's now one of the heads of MTV News. I work directly under her and she is incredible. And she was curious about what's going on now with the term Riot Girl and what's going on and how it's being played in culture and how like one of the OGs feels about it, I think. And uh, I'm also specifically interested in what I think of as the Etsyfication of Riot Girl. Where <laughs> yeah. a lot of the imagery I'm yeah. seeing replicated in pastel for $13 is an enamel pin that largely all kind of are starting to look identical. Yeah. So in all these conversations about capitalism and context and small businesses and women supporting other women, how do you feel about that, the Etsyfication of Riot Girl? Well, the the term right girl is a separate question and that's sort of like, I'm not really into that right. term anymore. Like I don't use it. I never really use it to identify myself, but like it was just a convenient thing that the media put on us. And then we we're like, oh, well, whatever. What are we going to do about it? You know, like we can either fight it or just use it to have like more people learn about it. And, um, but when, I, I mean, I... When I am sitting in a doctor's office and I see Parenting Magazine and it says Girl Power on it, I find it really funny. Um, And it's everywhere. Like Girl Power, even more than Riot Girl, is like absolutely – it's like probably in the dictionary or something now. And that was our fanzine that we put out in 1992. And we were – I'm not going to be – this is not bragging. It's the reality and I can prove it that like we came up with that phrase. And now it sounds so normal that to say that you came up with it is like, well, who cares? It's such a normal, boring phrase. No Other one's going to let you be written it. out of history for inventing that term because they erase women's language that way too. They yeah, it's just ownership. every book about Riot Girl. it's always like they never mention that. And so every time I do a lecture, I always show the cover of that zine. And I'm like, this happened before the Spice Girls. Like, it's just my own personal thing that like Toby and I were like talking about it in her apartment. And I remember having this big conversation and her and I like kind of mutually coming up with the title for the zine. Toby interviewed me a few years ago and I think she told me that. Yeah, and we were like, well, what's like the word that totally doesn't go with girl? You know what I mean? Like in the way that society is now. And and so I do find it humorous that now it's like Michelle Obama, girl power. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like everybody's girl power now. And it's like, um, and I also just find it humorous, like the whole thing of like, you know, girls kick ass band-aids or... You know yeah, what I mean? Girls like, pens. You're pens a rock star, girl. Blah, blah, blah. It's mm-hmm. like you can't put a big like girl power band-aid over sexual assault and domestic violence. You can't. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like it just. Or racism or transphobia. Right. Yeah. It starts being just this thing that it doesn't mean anything. And so uh-huh. to me, it's become a bit meaningless. But I also know that other groups have been really inspired. And so I really look forward to the future, to what is now the fourth wave where people don't just talk about intersectionality, but they practice it, which I feel was a big flaw of Riot Girl and um, and my particular participation even. And the thing about the Etsy-fication, I wrote a song on, um, to get back, just to get back to me, mm-hmm. um, 
Just to take it back to you. I just really need to take it back to me now, Meredith. I really need a me moment. I think we're about to wrap up, but I'm giving myself a me moment right now. I did want to say, though, my iPhone autocorrects it to Riot Grill. Mine does, too. Which I decided you just can't cook hot dogs on it. Well, see, I'm so old school that I can just say like BKRG and like all my friends know what I'm talking about. Wait, is that a secret code? What does that mean? I want to know. BK is Bikini Kill and RG is Riot Girl. So it's like, I was like, oh, it's another RG thing. But like also FF, Famous Feminist. (gasps) Welcome to the club, Meredith. Guess what you're going to get? There's an FF on Twitter that's like a follow Friday. And I'm going to start doing FF Famous Feminist. Famous Feminist. I'm telling you, it's really worth it because I really appreciate you showing your ambition. I want to say this more than I want to say the thing about crochet. Let's get back to you. Well, I do want to get back to you. I do. Super quick. I'm just going to say I wrote a song called You Make Me Want to Crochet. And it was about how people being so effed up. Like I thought everybody in the punk scene was going to be like, oh, these feminists are like making this music. This is awesome. Hugs all around. But like it was exactly the opposite Mm -hmm. situation and then I was just like you know then because I showed any ambition of being in a band and I lived in a small town as you did you know people would come up to me male and female like in the grocery store and just be like you think you're so cool you know what I mean I was like man like on stage I'm getting guys you know telling me to shut the fuck up I'm having people like you know physically assault me all this kind of stuff I don't think I'm cool I'm terrified right and then it's like it's like you're getting it from all sides and it's like uh, you make me want to crochet and then the whole thing of like women reclaiming crafting Mm -hmm. came into vogue and I was like whoa I don't know how to understand this and I I went to a lecture at um I mean a panel discussion it sounds like I'm just like this person who wanders around town like going to panel discussions. Oh, you mean like a cool, a cool academic that's also in like four punk bands? Right. Do go on. Sure, I went, I went to talking. this one and it was all about like women doing art projects involving knitting. Mm. And there was a woman who had set up a thing where people could knit. Um, she was knitting mittens and gloves that had the death count of um, both foreign and domestic um, people, human beings who'd been killed in warfare. And I thought that was a really amazing project. And there were several projects that I learned about that day that like were really, really amazing that were using like craft. Mm-hmm. And I totally got the thing of like, this was something that was always like diminished as an art because mostly women practiced it. Mm-hmm. But the Etsy thing is really complicated because it gets into what we were just talking about about like you go girl and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and it's like if people put out t-shirts with my face on it and it says like you go girl like it's just embarrassing to me Mm -hmm. because or like you know girls kick ass or girl anything really bugs me or just like I don't know it's just the more infuriating (laughs) thing about it to me sometimes honestly and I actually I forgot until just now that I actually just read an back over an interview that I did like a year ago that just came out where I said this exact thing so it's fresh in my mind is that <clears throat> I have zero time for anyone who wants to corner art, craft, cooking, cleaning, um, fashion, makeup, any of this as women's work because that is deceptive 
I think that's a false flag because these are things that are only described as women's work until you get to a level where people are being paid and then their industry is dominated by men. Most of the major fashion designers in the world are men. Most of the chefs in the world are men. Well, Mike Kelly, famous makeup artists. Mike Kelly got famous off crocheting. Exactly. And I was right there at the Mike Kelly retrospective at PS1 watching Blowfly rap about boners in the bubble with a million other people. So like, this is only women. This is only the women's diaspora insofar as other people have led us to believe that. I thus am willing to admit that I learned punk from men for the most part. But prior to being in this band, just another reason why people used to say that I wasn't punk is because I was a fucking seamstress. I made wedding dresses. Right. I crafted professionally. But the biggest fashion designers in the world are still Karl Lagerfeld and Hedy Slimane and Ralph Simons and like even Kanye, male designers. So it's the Etsy thing is I don't like what is it? Shout my tropes. But the the fist and the the woman symbol and things that are, are lovely but just as outdated as the application wild and loose of the personal is political like yeah no shit it's always been that way but like that phrase pertains to a specific time as do those images but i also love to see young girls making money yeah like you said do what you can lie lie if you have to stack the paper get the money so i don't really know how to feel about it no i feel i mean i think it's like it works for some people and it's cool like people are at their houses and also, you know, we were talking before about invisible disabilities and mm-hmm. it's like, there's some people who can't go to a job, but they can like make stuff at home. It's like, I don't have like this big, huge political problem with it. I just have a problem with the fact that I guess it was like 10 years ago. It happened that where everything became about craft mm-hmm. and crafting. And I actually had a publicist say to me, um, you know, the big thing now is, you know, like if you could like sew some stuff or like make a scarf and then sell it Mm -hmm. for like a thousand dollars or something like that. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm a musician. I'm not going to learn how to like make scarves. Like that's totally ridiculous. Like what am I supposed to come in like white people's asses at their houses and they can give me $2,000 then? Like I just, with some hand crocheted toilet paper. Right. Yeah. But before we go, I did want to just say, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you're in Perfect Pussy, you're working with other people, and you're also working in a more mainstream capacity at MTV, and I'm sure you've gotten tons of shit for it. And I just want to say that, you know, ambition is like, I am bitchin'. And don't, like, let people take that away from you. You know what I mean? It's like, if you have an ambition to do something, like, do it. Don't let people tell you you're not punk because you're on MTV or, like, whatever. I mean... I took tons of shit for like various decisions I've made. And the the thing is, is that you can be such a role model by saying like, well, I want to try it all. I'm not afraid and I want to try all different things. Maybe it won't work out. But guess what? I'm not going to be like staying in this one position that you have to admit underground punk feminist rock is marginalized Mm -hmm. like in this tiny little niche. And it's like if you want to, if you, for the good of all of us, are like, you know, bringing me on your show and like, you know, bringing these amazing women out to talk and asking us intelligent questions, it's like, that's a, an awesome thing that I think you're doing. And you. I just want you to know I'm in your corner that when Thank you get the horrible you. emails and tweets and shit like that, that like, it's just a part of the game. It's just a part of the game. I want to read you this great one I got this morning. I can't remember it verbatim, but it was because... I wrote it. I made a joke about Bon Iver, and someone was like, 
it's easier to tell that Bon Iver is a unique band. You, it, I, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's really, it's like literally. Well, you're paraphrasing. Like, you look like a plum and a tampon was like the comment that I received. You look like, like a plum and a tampon? A plum and a tampon. There's oh, did a, you find it? That is like the best t-shirt ever. Oh, it's going to be someone that tweeted at me, but it's, it's Speaking it was of great. Etsy, somebody has to make the plum with the tampon. Yeah, that's, that would be. <laughs> That would really, really be something. I'm, I'm all for public menstrual art. I've done that one. I, yeah, almost, no, I, almost, I almost wore my hysterics t-shirt today that has like I the, had that shirt. the tampons on, but I was afraid you were going to ask me for like a, like no. specific questions about that band and like, I love them, but I, I don't know. with the woman who sang in that I band. don't know that much up. about them. And I was like, what if she's like, what's your favorite song off of blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, eh, my first band played with Hysterics. The only time I've ever played in Olympia in my life was there with Hysterics, and they took us to karaoke afterwards. I had never done karaoke, and I did I Saw the Sign by Ace of Bass. I and used to be the karaoke host in Olympia. Oh, and I walked around going, <laughs> uh, Olympia, dun, 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 and that was me just doing like air drums the whole time, and I loved it, and I thought of you, and that was seven years ago, and without saying yes to a bunch of shit that terrified me, I wouldn't be here, sitting where I am now, yeah. being validated to fucking hell and back by you. So thank you. And You're if welcome. anyone's listening, just remember that if anyone ever gives you shit for doing stuff with a major label or a mainstream publication or anything that makes you happy, that so long as you don't listen to them and continue to grow, you too may eventually be locked in a tiny glass box in a very fancy building <laughs> with one of your heroes talking about how those people matter about Two pubes worth in the grand scheme of things. Two that's pubes fucking is a cool. lot. That's fucking pubes. cool. Yeah, if I found two pubes in anything, actually, that would make a substantial impact on my day, maybe. <laughs> oh, well. Well, that's a fantastic note to end okay, on. Okay, a plum, a tampon, and two pubes. A plum, a tampon, and two pubes. That's my new art that I'm going to go home and make. Yeah. I can do that really Because you're an easily. artist, right? Well, I do a lot of photography and stuff like that, but I pretty much just sort of keep it separate. <laughs> I never answered the how I fit into visual art thing because, like... I was really hoping. I'm a musician so much more. Like everybody knows me for that. And so like, let's get real. Like who gives a shit about right. what art I make? I was really hoping that before we wrapped up, I'd get to ask you what it feels like to be a woman in music, you know? Like oh, just God. what's it like to be a girl in a band? Can you like, can you like. I just, I want to. Can you tell me in like three seconds before we move on to another everybody question? Everybody always asks me about like being a woman in a band and they never ask me about like being white and middle class and being in a true. band. True, very true. You know, and it's also like, why aren't they asking guys like what does it feel like to be a man in a band and what's your take on feminism and what do you think of Beyonce saying she's a feminist like go mm -hmm. ask everybody that shit or don't even come to my face like mm -hmm. get out of my face you know anyway sorry so the general advice today from Kathleen Hanna is get you a bobby get you a bobby get a dog sure. lie if you need to to make your money and don't listen to fucking any motherfucker yeah that like tells you shit this is amazing have an outside life outside of your yeah. career Cool, be cool, willing to call it a career cool dog many bands yeah and just have people who like don't want to talk to you about work all the time meredith graves kathleen hannah thank you so so much for joining us here on the talk house music podcast this is ellie einhorn your host we are broadcasting from 101 green street the sono store here in soho new york city uh, Meredith and Kathleen are going to hang out and take a couple questions from the viewing audience. We got some from Twitter and some from Facebook. So thanks for sending in your questions. Quick shout out to everyone at Cornerstone and Sonos for helping to coordinate this to Adam, Bryson, Brian, and Jesse and everyone else involved. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. This is the kind of thing I love being able to to set up because it's the kind of thing 
I wish happened and would want to come to. So Meredith and Kathleen, thank you again, just for me personally, for, for coming together for this. Okay, we have a few questions. Oh my God, is it going to involve like plums and... There actually is one a about... A plum pubic hair Do you want question? me to read you that one oh, first? Oh yes, yeah. yeah. that one first. Okay, let's somebody sent... Let's see. Uh, Am I going to go have to flush my face down the toilet after I read this? Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody just tweeted... Oh no! This is this is the tweet from earlier. I think. Oh, you found it. Lumberjack punk might oh, be the yeah. dumbest term I ever heard. Too bad no one could tell you apart from a plum posing as a tampon. A plum. Now this is from shit. You, Matt hates, and I would like to say, don't I shout hate out that Matt. Person's it's actually name. I gotta say, it's actually kind of funny. I mean, oh, yeah, it's great. I, I know it's it, I, if it hurts your feelings. No, no, I love it totally. I love, but I it's love like it. I love it. sometimes I'm just like when people write really nasty stuff to me. That's like you know like die bitch die or whatever mm. it's like totally boring like run of the mill but when mm. people get really creative you know oh, what i, I mean like i'm Twitter like could you at least like do that in a better font true, true. <laughs> you know what i, I, I mean have some like trolls that i've like become very attached to because they would just say some stupid stuff and then i would look and see that they had like memes all over their page and they're obviously like on b and whatever and just like stealing all their pictures off 4chan but like i, I took to them and now like they'll they'll i'll talk back to them and like they're eggs i don't know who they are but it's the same two trolls all the time might be the same guy and if one of them says something inappropriate i have been like hey i usually like you i value you as a troll but today's not the day yeah. and he'll just stop <laughs> i'm like okay so i have two trolls that i'm like nurturing like they're little sea monkeys. <laughs> like P- in your, i love my the trolls. meredith grave petri dish i don't fight with people on the internet i, I want to see I, the I meredith grave petri trolls. dish I, I want to give a quick Nurture. shout out. We, we've got a couple of the ladies from Savages here, and they're nodding along oh, awesome. to the troll hey. talk. So, <laughs> ladies, nice to see you again. It's been since Primavera, but that we bumped into each other. But I, I, I'm sorry to hear that you're part of part of this troll issue. Um, Love a, my trolls. Shout my trolls, Meredith. You do have long. You have long term relationships. You have LTRs with your trolls. I do. Here's a question. Uh, just like there's boundaries with social media, this one is for Kathleen. We got a question. What is it like to be married to a musician? What kind of boundaries do you have for discussions about music? Um, we don't really have boundaries. I mean, we both grew up in messed up dysfunctional families. Boundaries, what's that? <laughs> um, no, just like we actually, we like all the same stuff. I mean, I'm kind of a dick in that like, when I would date somebody or just like have sex with them and then wake up the next morning and kind of be like, am I into this person? Do I want to continue this? I would look at their record collection mm-hmm. and I would immediately know. I mean, if it was like Red Hot Chili Peppers was in there, I was gone. And so, I mean, he and I have really, really similar taste in music. He turns me on to great music. I've turned him on to some great music. Um, you know, and we discuss stuff about like arrangements, but we like, we both really love bubblegum pop the Archies, like, you know, Castanet Cats. Yeah, like, and so we don't really have any boundaries about musical discussions. It's more like, there's been times where we've tried to work together um, that it just, it's really hard because we're both very stubborn and we both, we hear things, we both hear things in our head how we want them to be and then we're trying to go about hearing them the way, like, mixing a song the way that I hear it versus mixing it the way he hears it. Cause I'm all about the trouble and he's all about the bass. <laughs> so, so no, uh, Kathleen Hanna ad rock collabos coming up. 
No, I mean, we do stuff for charity and stuff or like we sing at people's weddings or, you know, I mean, our friends, we're not like, <laughs> that would be really do funny. Do bar Check out band. our website, Adam and Kathleen. <laughs> we should do that. We only did, gay we, weddings. We did really only, want, only yeah. Trolls only trolls weddings. weddings. We actually have only, only sung at a gay weddings. wedding. We have a question for Meredith. What are you listening to now? What bands do you feel are important in the moment? Fuck. Um, a lot. A lot. Um, actually, I have been starting to think about my album of the year, song of the year list, and I realized that writ large, every release that came out this year that I care about is a rap record, which is will surprise absolutely no one that knows me as it is my living You love rap. Goal to be the vetted small white kitten of rap journalism. Um, I love uh, the Kanye record, Life of Pablo, Kendrick's Untitled, Unmastered, Death Grips, Bottomless Pit. I've got Clipping's new record, uh, the new bus driver record that came out last year, Thumbs, is incredible. We've got, who else? There's going to be a new- I know you love your buddy Chance the Rapper. I do love Chance. I hope I get to see him this weekend. I'm going to the Meadows Festival to do some Facebook Live interviews with MTV. I'm going to get to talk to Kamasi Washington this weekend, who also put out that brilliant double album. I got to see him with his father during CMJ. Yeah, most of what I'm listening to right now is, again, totally unsurprisingly, it's rap music. I am super, I had to admit to my weed dealer recently that I'm not punk anymore. <laughs> um, when he was wearing a Carbona shirt. And Your I weed thought, dealer is John Joseph from Comegs, right? I wish. John Joseph, I actually met, uh, we didn't remember that we had met at Vice 20 a couple years ago, but I had also met John Joseph, who is my like hardcore like pinup um, icon of a vocalist. Because Age of Coral was the greatest album ever written, and I met him that night. It was very, very odd. But yeah, under under anything I'm listening to this year, as much as I am listening to Kanye and the, the clipping record, I think really. The clipping record, the chance record, um, Death Grips, of course. And other than that, yeah. Those are a punk. fair few I'm trying records to think of for like, people like to check out. Punk stuff that I liked, but no, no, punk, punk, punk is dead. It's only rap music from now on. Rappers are the new rock stars. Mm, well, some people who turn out to be famous rappers with decades-long careers started in hardcore bands, and sometimes <laughs> they were the same band as we're coming up on like a major Beasties anniversary too. So seems situationally valid. Are we? Mm -hmm. I got an email yesterday asking if I cared about the Beastie Boys if I wanted to say something about their songs, and I'm like, hell yeah! Look at this like, look bad of I'm like, I have no clue. I have face. no clue. I'll forward you the email. Don't I have no clue. <laughs> Don't tell her hubby. I know. Oh, and the other thing I'm listening to is this amazing song with this terrible vocalist by a great God Mode band called House of Feelings. It was just out the other day. No, I want to shout all my friends at God Mode. There's a new Yvette record coming out very soon. Yvette is the best band in Brooklyn, and anyone that disagrees is cordially invited to fight me. Uh, everything on God Mode is great. The new House of Feelings record is sick. It's basically freestyle. Every DJ should be playing it from Funk Flex on down. Uh, yeah, literally anything on God Mode, especially House of Feelings. And yeah, I'm on the new song, but like, it's not that. It's it's everyone else, and it's all of the work they do at God Mode. God Mode is the most important label currently active, I think, in a lot of ways. Another question we have, uh, this one for Kathleen. You talked about recording the new La Tigra record, which is really exciting. Are you guys going to be touring after this? No, we're not recording a record. We're just recording a track. Just a track? It's just a track. Is it ba is it for something in particular? Well, yes, it is, Said but I'm not going to say what it is. OMG. It could be for Halloween. It could be a Monster Mash style song. Do they even know it's Halloween? Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I, that song. Oh, I could talk about that one for hours. It's like. <laughs> and we have. Uh, no, okay. No. Uh, 
last question or maybe one or two more. Uh, here's one. Kathleen, this is from Facebook Live. Have you been supported well throughout your illness and how can your fans support you more? Oh, that's so sweet. Whoever wrote that's amazing. Um, I I'll have been supported, you, you know. Sarah Duncan. Thank you for that Thank question. Thank you, Sarah. That's very sweet of you. Um, I have been, and you know, it's been amazing to go on the road and um, when I'm able to go out in the audience and meet people afterwards, like there's a lot of people who, you know, before you have an invisible illness, you don't really realize like all of the things that it entails and the humiliation it can entail. And like, uh, there's just so much stuff. And meeting other people with invisible illnesses who say, oh, the thing that you said tonight on stage about, about it really resonated with me or I'm a caregiver of somebody with an invisible illness and thank you for bringing it up. And um, that's been actually something that has been really supported me in my healing is hearing that talking about it has helped other people. And, um, you know, I really did feel like I was hiding it for a long time. It can make you unemployable. It can make it like people who don't want to, you know, book your band if you're going to cancel. And we had to cancel a whole European tour due to illness. And um, I don't remember what the question was. Oh, people supporting me. I think just for fans, the way you can support me is by like, do the stuff that you want to do and make great stuff in the world to entertain me and to make <laughs> me happy. It's like, I don't really need well wishes and stuff. Like, it's nice to get them. You know, I definitely don't need men sending me um, like links to things that talk about how chronic Lyme disease doesn't exist. And isn't it funny that more women have it than men? What does that mean? Oh, no. um, that kind of stuff I don't need. You got a diagnosis of suck my dick, my yeah. dude. <laughs> no, you got a diagnosis of you've been blocked. You got Zachary's disease, as my mom would say. Your ass looks exactly like your You're face. <laughs> I love your mom. I can't wait to tell her that you said that. <laughs> She's a principal. Yeah, she. Well, it just made me start feeling like I was going to wet my pants when I when was you like said that because I was like, I was like, I'm going to go to the principal. No, it's so cool. I spent so much time there. So did I. And she was a teacher when I was in high school. And so every time I got Ooh. suspended for skipping to listen to the Julie Ruin tape in my best friend's car, they'd bring me to her classroom instead of suspension. You were smoking pot, weren't you, Meredith? No, I wasn't. I this actually, was before I was smoking John Joseph. cheap cigarettes from the reservation, I was. <laughs> okay. And listening to your tape. And uh, she went from being a substitute ESL teacher to the principal of my high school in just about a decade. My wow. mom is up there with you and, you know, Tracy Eamon on the list of like badass, like very powerful role models for me as a teenager. So she is cool. And I can't wait to tell her you said that. Oh, really the Tracy happy. Eamon thing. That's interesting. Yeah. We have one last question. This one from Twitter. Take this as you would, you know, sort of go with this where, where you'd like to, Meredith and Kathleen. But uh, they wanted to ask <laughs> you about your thoughts on the election, the current uh, state of the election. You first. I was going to say nose goes, but then you got me. Um, how do I feel about the election? On one hand, I feel like it is transparently obvious that what's going on right here. Okay, wow. I love to start eight sentences and not finish any of them. The thing about the election is that for the first time, we are seeing the gender divide most strongly displayed on the largest stage internationally as we choose the next leader of the free world from, as I said previously, possibly the most overqualified person who has ever applied for the job and a xenophobic reality TV star who uh, 
doesn't believe in global warming. Like, this is the gender divide when these two people are actually viewed as being each other's competition. That is really what's going on and what's going on interstitially between people in the United States is that we are seeing which ones of our friends are still considering this to be a competition and other people's grasp of politics. That's one side of the coin. The other side is that for me personally, this entire process, this election specifically, has validated my lack of belief in a two-party democratic system that is viable and transparent. The fact that this election is what it is and it's being portrayed the way that it is in the media, on stage, even my role in it as a news correspondent who occasionally covers politics for the MTV site. My view is the fact that this is allowed to happen at all, that an unqualified reality TV star with no experience in politics is being put up against an advisor to the Obama administration, the fucking Secretary of State is up a woman who is in her 60s with five decades of like four decades of political experience is being pitted against the man who owns the Miss Universe pageant. And I don't mean to say this as an example of rampant sexism. I mean this as an example by which to say, please consider whether or not you actually believe in the validity of the democratic United States system and the electoral college. This is a farce. And if this election has made me believe anything, it's that the country is run by Apple, BP, and Unilever, and that the people in power are too busy enjoying themselves to watch the debates that are meant to distract the rest of us. This election cycle has validated for me entirely the fact that transparency in government is a non-starter. And I realize that is a harsh toke, my guy, but like, really, this is... I've never felt so attached to the term theater of politics. I'll say that. I'd very much like to invite you to take that microphone off the stand and drop it. <laughs> the I, I did that. The last time I did that, the microphone broke. And I don't <laughs> okay, remember okay, where I was. It. I like these. But it wasn't socially appropriate. Like, I, I'm great at parties. Republican Party, Democratic Party. I love them all. <laughs> Libertarians. Gary Johnson, Cannabis Sativa Incorporated. But don't vote for that guy. He's fucking, like... Anti-Roe Wade. Oh, the guy who was like, what's the liber- Gary Johnson, the libertarian third party presidential <laughs> nominee, left his post as the CEO of a company he started that was actually registered as Cannabis Sativa Incorporated to run on a platform of believing abortion is a state's rights issue. Did you see he just called himself out for having, quote unquote, another Aleppo moment? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. This he, is getting serious. He, they asked him about who was a world leader that he looked up to and he couldn't name anybody. And he, he, said name the former, he said the former president of um, Mexico and then the guy next to him Fox. had to, so had from to explain. Years ago. Yeah, it's pretty banana. Rodrigo bananas. Duterte. But I felt, I mean, the election, <laughs> I agree with so much of what Meredith says. I think it's great that Bernie Sanders opened the door to us even talking about socialism. Um, I think that that's like a chip in the armor and a good thing ultimately. And it did bring Hillary more to the left. Um, but I think that in this election, it's just so important that Trump does not become our president. Um, things could really, really, really go bad. It terrifies me. I feel like I've been, my body has been in knots like for months and months and months. And um, yeah, she's made mistakes. Hillary's made mistakes, of course, like we all have. And she's learned from them. And she's like changed her opinion on different bills and different, you know, things that were going down the pike. And, Washington and she said I like I like this and then read the actual thing and said I actually don't agree with this and sometimes you know people have to vote for stuff that they don't agree with to get stuff like 
healthcare for children mm-hmm. passed. Um, it's a really complicated thing. I agree. I don't think the two-party system is working anymore. Um, but Trump said that Mexicans are rapists. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he used the word Hispanic or Mexican. Mexican. I can't remember now. But it, Mexican. Um, he did say, I love Hispanics with a picture of a Trump Tower taco bowl. Though. I also just want to remind people that he said um, at a thing after being called racist, he said, um, where's my African-American? Oh, there's my African-American. Seriously, that's all I need. Like, I'm done. He called Kim like, Kardashian fat the other day. Which he's just offended like, me so personally. It's <laughs> super out of control. And it's like, on so many levels, and this person is so inexperienced, and he's, he is, if he got in to be the president, he's just going to like sway the laws so that his companies will make more money. And he's already done tons of illegal stuff. He won't show his tax returns, blah, 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 blah. We need to vote for Hillary. She's more experienced than anybody has ever been to be president. And even if you don't agree with every little teeny tiny thing she said, I think it's super bizarre that people are like, she's a liar. I don't believe her. She's unbelievable. And then you look at Trump just stand there and lie and lie and lie and lie. And people are fact checking him now in the in the moment because the media is realizing they have to play catch up and not stand there and like put their camera on a podium that he's not even at waiting for a half an hour for him to get up and do a commercial for his hotel under the guise of praising military people who have served in the military, which is one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life Mm -hmm. um, on so many levels, using people who have fought for our country in this way to be pawns for him to talk about how beautiful the ballroom at his Washington DC hotel is, which I just now advertised, but you have to wonder how many department of defense cocktail functions they've hosted in the Trump Soho. It's you know, just, it's the, the same DOD that finances the militarization of small town American police forces is part and parcel, you know, renting wedding blocks at the Trump towers. But also dude doesn't follow the, the law. Well, like dude. even, even the Trump Soho tower would, he built it too many he built extra he didn't have the air rights to build like a couple extra flights or what do you call could it could he be compensating for something do you think no but he would say that makes him smart he would say it makes him smart but basically what happened well a he's had tons of people die on his on his um construction sites that never gets brought up he built a building on a, a slave burial um site he also does stuff like oh i'm just going to put extra um uh, what do you call it, floors on my building, and then I, I have enough money that I can just pay the fine. And it's like, other people can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't just be like, well, I'm just going to park my car wherever the fuck I want because I have so much money, I'll just pay the fine. I'll just pay my the fine. My boyfriend actually does that. Well, I mean, I used to do it too. Even though I didn't have the money because I was like, it's just paper. I was like, it's just paper. What are they going to do? But you know what I mean? It's like the whole idea of like, well, I'm just going to break the law and then I'll just pay because it's white collar crime. I'll just pay. And the the trickle down of that is I will rape someone and serve three months of a six month sentence. Don't even get me started. Build your tower higher. Like (laughs) build your tower higher, you freakish Cheeto raper guy. Wait, it, you should do spoken word. The difference. You should totally do a spoken word record. It'd be so All right, funny. So if Trump gets elected, I will quit punk further. No, just just go in a studio a one day poet. and drink a bunch of coffee or tea or whatever is yeah. your passion. Coffee. And just like go. Man. 
I would if totally only someone would give me a job I would totally download that shit where you just start mixing up like Trump with Brock Turner with like it's awesome oh my god so if I can go back to my office after this and convince my politics editor. Yeah, it's like five blocks away. You got to come hang I out. I want an office. Yeah, yeah. Come be on the podcast with me and we can talk about this. I think, I think exactly I'm going to hang out saying. in your office, Meredith. Come hang out. I just have In like, the corner. I'm going to be like the Hobbit guide. I'm like, what? ah, Miss Pretty. I'm in a big newsroom <laughs> and I have all these nice coworkers that are super, super smart. And what I've learned from them and what you're validating in everything you just said is that the real issue with this election is that if Hillary Clinton gets elected, we will have Hillary Clinton as president and we will have a Clinton administration. If Donald Trump gets elected, he's a sock puppet and the game is going to be seeing who's got their hand up his ass because that's going to be who's in the White House. Welcome back, Dick Cheney. Yeah, given his business relationships, that's what terrifies me is that the Trump presidency is not Trump the person, it's Trump the capitalist entity. And whoever he's invested in, including the companies that hired undocumented Mexican immigrants to build these illegal buildings and die on his sites. The people who are putting a gun to your head with one hand and giving you a hand job with the other, that's who's going to be president if Trump gets elected. Personally, I will take one overqualified woman over the powers that be. Yeah, that's it. People need to vote. Please sign up to vote if you're listening. And better, bet more than anything, vote locally, because the the down truest, ticket super important. The truest parallel to the Trump presidency is the election of Robert Morrow as the GOP head of West Texas. Robert Morrow, you may know as the guy whose entire Twitter account is dedicated to rating anime boobs. He's written a number of books about how the Clinton administration is a cover for the Clintons' personal gay child sex scandal. And this is the head, this is the head of the Texas GOP. This is my favorite living politician. He is the greatest living example of modern politics. Oh, no. I am in awe of this man. His name is Robert Morrow. I thought I was the only person who had boob animes all over my Twitter. Yo, when Donald Trump slipped up in a speech a couple months ago and said titties instead of cities, Robert Morrow's Twitter was <laughs> lit. It was the function. I was there for it i think that he is the greatest example of how the american electoral system works he was only voted to be literally the head of the texas gop when ted cruz almost won the nomination i know i'm tapping myself in the head a lot and getting really emotional about for this for those but of like, you not watching this, this is what i'm saying this is the spoken this word record bad. don't he use it on that because he was the first name on the ballot and no one knew who they were voting for and they got a guy that tweets about anime boobs and wears a jester hat to meetings and they said okay we're gonna go in and lobby to have all of his power and all of his budget taken away and robert morrow the head of the texas gop in the district that includes austin said fine take away all my money and power i only ran to get a bigger platform to talk about the clinton's gay child sex scandal here's my jester hat fuck you that is how democracy works in america today if you wouldn't have robert morrow as a president don't vote for trump if anybody hears this, please, and like somehow manages to record it, which I guess you're not supposed to do, but like um, someone just needs to put a beat behind everything Meredith just said and just <laughs> do you know a guy? Call it a day. Are you married to a guy that might be able to help me with that? Yeah. You Yo, should, I'm you in the come Beastie Boys house. I, I'm in like I have all a these little bands. home studio. You could come over. We could, I could, I can make beats. I mean, it's not like. Let's re-record. Let's re-record because like, I know the the rap verse from that song pretty much from memory. I, just, I think I seriously have a really nice mic set up right now. I could just lay down a beat. And How I'll many just ask girls you some stay political... awake all night? Too scared to sleep and too scared. Well, don't do that one because it was already done by you know the feminist legend icon over here. Who has boob animes on her Twitter? I love boob animes. Um, 
But yeah, we really need to just put a beat down and I'm just going to ask you some political questions and you just go the fuck off. I'm 100% for this. I think it's a great idea. Collab. Collab. Hannah X. Collab. Collab. To benefit the Texas GOP. (laughs) You heard it here on the Talk House Music Podcast. (laughs) Kathleen Hannah, Meredith Graves, Collabo. We have Latigre coming around soon. Listen, these records that you see for those watching the Perfect Pussy record, the new Julie Ruin record, those are going to be staying here at the Sono Store, 101 Green Street, as part of the permanent collection here in listening booth number seven downstairs. I'll say permanent collection until a big Riot Girl fan comes and steals both records. But uh, thank you so much to Sonos for hosting us. Again, this is Elliot for the Talk House signing off.